still sleeping. How tall is the tallest tree? Where do crayons get their color? Do you understand me? How big can a bubble be? How high can I climb? How fast can I run? How long can we spin? She should question everything. Why do we have a bedtime? But never herself. That's why there's girls in the game. Helping young girls turn why into why not. Welcome to Pass the Mic. I'm John Buffone. You know, we created this show a year ago, and at the time, we weren't sure of the structure. We didn't know if anyone would listen, and quite frankly, we didn't know if anybody would want to be on it. But one thing we were sure of was what this show was always going to be about, and that's spotlighting the struggles and accomplishments of women in sports and sports media. We've had some incredible guests on this show, from women that are breaking down barriers in sports radio to those becoming trailblazers in coaching and competing. Every episode that we've shot has been unique, but unfortunately, many of them have been the same in the fact that they've shown us that there is still a long way to go. But I couldn't be prouder of the efforts of everyone involved in this show, from my co-host Alyssa Barbieri, to the people behind the scenes at the Barroom Network, to Aldo Gandia, who immediately greenlit this project the second I put it on his desk. This show has grown so much, and it's continuing to grow. And that's why I'm excited to hand this show over to someone who epitomizes the very spirit of what we're trying to accomplish. We are officially passing the mic to a 12-time Emmy-winning sportscaster who you may, may remember as the first ever guest on this show. So it is my honor to introduce the new host of Pass the Mic, Peggy Kaczynski. Peggy, she's all yours. How you doing? Hi, John. Thank you so much. Um, I'm really very honored that you guys thought of me to host this show. I think it's really important that we continue to give a voice to women in sports and sports media. And I look forward to really highlighting more women that you and Alyssa weren't able to talk to in season one, and maybe even a few men as well who are doing things behind the scenes to uh, help women in whether it's media or whether it's working for teams um, in broadcasting anything. So I love telling people stories. I love getting behind the scenes and introducing people to uh, someone and something that they may not know about. And most of all, I really love people walking away with an emotion. I want them to feel something after an interview. I want them to either uh, be motivated, be happy, be encouraged, feel sad sometimes, and most of all, maybe to act and do something. So I want to keep it fun, interesting, and I encourage everyone to continue to pass the mic. Like, John and Alyssa did to me. So John, thank you. You you guys really did a great job in season one. 
Thank you so much. And we've said from the beginning, if we can make a difference with just one person, then this show will have been a success. And I know that you will continue to do that. And you're going to take this show to the next level. So I'm excited. Everyone at the network's excited. I, I just can't wait to watch to see how this show evolves. And I know that you have a fantastic guest lined up for your first show already. So I can't wait to just sit back and watch and enjoy the show. Everybody, please continue to tune in to Pass the Mic. Tell your friends. Go back and listen to previous episodes. They're all evergreen. You can listen to the whole catalog. It's going to be a very bingeable show. So please continue to tune in to Pass the Mic. Peggy, like I said, it's all yours. All right, John. Thank you. And hey, without further ado, let's get right into our first episode of season two. She is ESPN sports personality and host of Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. She is also a Peabody and Emmy Award winner and co-owner yeah, co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars. Let's welcome in Sarah Spain. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Oh my gosh, it's great to catch up with you again. It's been a couple of years since I've seen you and you you always make me laugh. So <laughs> besides making me laugh, I want to get into some things that maybe people don't know about you. And first and foremost, it's your name, okay? <laughs> it sounds like a TV name. And when I was in broadcasting in college, you know, they told me that Kaczynski was too Polish, that I should change it. And everyone back in the 80s was changing their name to something that was very generic. So I have to ask you, is Sarah Spain your real name? It is real. It is real. My name Spain goes all the way back forever and ever and ever when my family was Spanish and we went into Ireland and they used to name people Smith if they were a blacksmith or they named them after their job or their place. And so we were named Spain and then they came over. And unfortunately, I'm the last one of my particular family. We have no boys carrying them on and all the other wow. women got married and took the name. I kept my own name. And now my dad, who's very into uh, looking into our family history and everything else is kind of bummed that uh, it ends here. <laughs> so you guys have done like ancestry.com or one of those. And have you yeah. met any interesting you know, people that are related to you? You know, we haven't done those using like the swabs and stuff. My dad actually just has, is like one of those people that goes through all the family history that's incredibly carefully you know, curated and, and wow. note and the notes and everything else. So um, he's really into that stuff. He tries to talk to us about it. We are sometimes interested and sometimes we're like, all right, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> A lot of old people no longer with us. <laughs> I love it. I love your middle name too. Is your middle name Colby? Yeah, that's interesting too. So my ancestor was uh, a, a, someone who founded a rail system and was the city uh, uh, in Wisconsin, Colby was named after him, hence the cheese, Colby. And actually Colby College was renamed after he gave enough money to save the school from, from going under. So I'm on the family tree at Colby College. It was my safety school. I was fairly certain that there was no way they could turn me away. Uh, and I do like cheese a lot, so it feels appropriate uh, <laughs> that you know the name stuck. Okay. Speaking of college, shout out to the big red. Okay. Yes. I have a son who's a sophomore at Cornell, uh, not an athlete like yourself. Um, you were a college athlete at the Ivy League school. And uh, yes, it is Ivy League for those other Ivy Leaguers who like to mm -hmm. say Cornell is not. It is. Mm -hmm. So Sarah, tell me about your athletic career and going to Cornell. 
Yeah, so I played basketball, field hockey, and track in high school. I got recruited for all of them, actually. And it was sort of this decision wow. of like, do I want to be small fish in a big pond? Do I want to be big fish in a small pond? I really hoped to go Division One and to go to the best school that I could and find that balance. So I did get a couple full ride offers for basketball. And I just, I wanted to find that balance, especially knowing that I was not going to go on to the Olympics in track and field. This would be my last time to compete, but I also wanted to set myself up for what came after. So Cornell was this perfect balance of getting to go there, do heptathlon, but still, you know, have classes and education and friends and social life and, and balance it all. So uh, it was, it was a blast. Um, I hope your son's having a good time. I know it's not oh. the same with COVID and everything else. It's just not the same experience, but I loved it there. I have, I had 14 roommates my junior and senior year. We got a house right where the bars stopped. So we were stop number <laughs> one on the after party circuit. And um, I'm so was, shocked at that. <laughs> I know, surprising, uh, very social. Um, and we uh, we still hang out all the time. We have a WhatsApp of all 15 of us. We got 13 out of 15 to our friend's house a couple summers ago, just the gals, no husbands or kids to catch up. So I just, I had such a great experience, you know, got to do all the things. And that's why when I talk about NCAA sports, a lot of times I'll say I'm the perfect example of what it's supposed to look like. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that set me up to have that great experience are the ones who, you know, don't get a great education, don't get treated like real student athletes, make a ton of money for other people and have this really limited scope of what they're allowed to do because of their dedication to the sport that offers them opportunities. Uh, but it's a pretty it's a pretty skewed idea of what a student athlete's life should look like for some of those athletes that are really bringing in the big bucks. Uh, speaking of that, I am thinking if they had name, image, and likeness when you <laughs> were in college, girl, you <laughs> would have made a ton of money. I, I just think that you, yeah. right? I just <laughs> think you have such an entrepreneurial spirit. What, like, can you imagine what, what would you have done if you were able to do that in college? Well, would there also have been YouTube and stuff like that? Because I could oh. have been a killer content creator at that right? level. Um, but I just think, I mean, uh, that's one of the things I love about NIL that people have finally come around on that, that we're trying to push this false narrative that was going to hurt female athletes. Absolutely not. There are so many female athletes that are at their peak gaining power at collegiate level, especially those whose sports don't have really like strong professional leagues. They can coach. They can do advertisements. They can do sponsorships for different gear. I mean, I don't know if you ever watched that show Cheer about the community college with the cheerleading team. Yeah. I mean, some of those women were already on every single magazine for every possible, you know, cheerleading uniform and kit and everything else. So, um, yeah, I think I would have done all right. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't UConn women's basketball, but I would have made it work up, up in the, uh, a lot of good benefactors at the Ivies that I could have really uh, tried, tried to I, Oh yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. I just think that the name image and like this is really can have the biggest effect on the athletes that are not getting the attention, not yeah. the ones that already are, because those guys are going to make the money anyways, yeah. but I, I mean, we're making the money. It's just, uh, uh, it's just a front now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Speaking of, um, your unconventional career, uh, your career path, I should say, you really were not afraid to be yourself. And you, I, I call you an entrepreneur, but I, I just remember you were doing things on the internet before anybody else was doing content on the internet. And I remember seeing you at a Blackhawks 
practice or game or something. I don't even remember. And you had on like a 90s hat and and you were doing an interview with these guys and they were so into the interview because it was fun and and you were very much yourself. When I was coming up, it was the very end of we were still being the guys in a guy's job. We were still yeah. wearing blazers and we had to act like the guys, talk like the guys, don't be too feminine. You really were not afraid to take the leap into being who you are. And that's like everything. Talk about how difficult it was or was it an easy decision for you to take that approach? You know, now that you're asking it that way, I do think that I felt like it was a detriment to me that I hadn't studied journalism at Cornell, gone to get my MBA, followed the path, go to a small market, work in local television, do the one man band, and then make my way to a bigger market. In a lot of ways, I had to learn on the fly and trial by fire in bigger locker rooms and markets where you know you make a mistake and it's a bigger deal. But I think because I didn't know that I wanted to be a sports reporter until much later, I moved out to LA to do comedy and acting. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. I did the Second City Conservatory. I was, you know, taking classes in sitcom comedy characters. And I I just always wanted to perform. And growing up, 90s bulls, I was obsessed with them. But there's not a lot of women. I think Missy Isaacson might have been the only byline you could catch. And I was watching the games and I was devouring all the books and the DVDs. But I wasn't in the mindset of looking for the coverage, who was doing the coverage. I just wanted the players and the game, right? And my family's not super into sports. My parents aren't. So it was never a matter of you're really into sports. Would you ever want to work? It just didn't even occur to me till later in life. And so I got out to LA and I was doing comedy stuff and acting and working at a restaurant as one does when they're trying to get auditions and stuff and decided to take a TV hosting boot camp through to a break for a fake Chicago Bears show, welcomed back the audience or whatever. And the teacher said, oh, sports, that's what you want to do. I said, oh, no, there's no women in sports. Um, the, the only ones I see are very serious anchors, the ones you mentioned, got the blazer, trying to be, mm -hmm. you know, like, or beautiful supermodel sideline reporters. And that's not me. I want to be funny. I want to be sarcastic. And she said, well, you know, you could just think about it took a class at UCLA extension in TV sports reporting. All of a sudden, my English major, my performance side, my love of sports, my, my being a D1 athlete all came together. And I realized, oh, this is something I should do. And then once I started, it moved so fast that I didn't have time to really think about what I was supposed to be doing so much as follow my gut, which is I'm going to bring all of my improv into my interviews. I'm going to make them looser and more fun. I'm going to talk to the athletes like I would talk to them because I'm a 26-year-old person. I'm not, you know, I don't have to be too serious. And the first job I got really helped with that because it was a startup website all about bringing out player personalities. And that's mm -hmm. probably what you remember is me getting Christopher Stieg to rap Fergie Glamorous in the locker room and right. doing these quick, these little videos where I would do, you know, have a stack of sheets and take a paper and each one had a different picture and the player would have to have their very first reaction of like one word to it. So it really helped ease into this is who I am. This is who we want the players to get to be. And once that started, it gave me enough confidence to say I could keep doing this instead of feeling like I have to get that super polished, overdone thing, which can work for some people and is great for specific parts of the industry. But I wanted the freedom to not have to do that. And as a woman, there wasn't anybody leading the way. There were no Michelle Beatles and Katie Nolans and these like comedy forward Um and I mean, Peggy, I always say this. You were the last woman on the air in a regular position at ESPN 1000 before I joined them. And it was 11 years before I got there. And it had been 11 years and they hadn't had another woman on every day. And then I left and it was another five years or whatever. And then I know Shay Pepler was doing some stuff, but like 
man, it's hard to go out and find those people. And so my, yeah. my, my icons were like Kenny main doing yeah. the main event and it was satire plus sports. And that's, that's what I wanted. And it was really hard to find. So I just said, fine, I'll just do it myself. I, I really looked up to Joan Rivers. Yes. <laughs> and I actually, like you, I did comedy in college. And of course you did. I did. That totally there, checks out. <laughs> right. There was a Catch a Rising Star uh, comedy competition, and I took second place. And I came home and I told my mother that I was going into comedy, and they wanted me to start doing, um, you know, the open mic nights in Chicago. And she said, Over my dead body. Will you be Aww. hanging out in bars, you know, dropping the F-bomb and, and drinking with these people? And so I thought, oh, gosh, okay. So I took more of the unconventional route, but yeah. um, God, I give you so much credit for knowing well, you, who you are. Oh, you I know love what, Peggy, that. I think you still ended up in a lot of bars, dropping the F-bomb, hanging out with guys. I mean, just went a different uh, career route to get there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so did you ever find that your your approach hurt you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did not have a very welcome, uh, first couple months to the Chicago sports scene. I had moved out to LA. I grew up in Lake Forest, but I didn't know anyone in the city. When I moved out to LA, I hadn't worked in the city in the sports world. So when I came back because of that startup website, I was thrust right into the locker room for the Blackhawks on a sort of almost beat reporter role, but just home games. And so I'm six feet tall. I got big boobs. I can't put them away. I don't really blend in. And there's no other women really in there. And I tried to learn the ropes and stay back. And how do I make sure? So the first couple of weeks, I'm not really doing, I'm trying to get the content I need that's a little bit different than the average reporter, but I'm really very aware of being different and not really knowing the ropes yet. And it was just a few weeks in, I don't know that any of the players even knew my name. And someone I knew in the local media market said that they had heard through the grapevine that one of the longtime male beat reporters had told the PR staff, I must be sleeping with the players because I was getting better answers. Um, wow. And that was me. Like I said, bringing in, I'm a 26 or 27 year old. I'm going to talk to you like your friends talk to you. And my role at this company is to get you to be, have a personality and be funny and not to just tell me, you know, why your PK sucks. And so I, I, that was hard for me because I had read a lot about the industry being like that. And I think I had this false sense of confidence that, well, it's not going to happen to me. I'm an Ivy League grad D1 athlete. I'm, I do all the work. I'm always prepared. I just didn't think I would get it the same way. And so I had a number of those instances early on in a bunch of the locker rooms, usually with other reporters, occasionally with the PR for the teams that for whatever reason, I think were very protective and presumed the worst of me. And then I found, shockingly, you get to ESPN which I did within a year or so of being back in Chicago. And you come in with that mic flag and you're doing Oberman and outside the lines and sports center. And all of a sudden people give you a lot more respect. And I, I'm the same person that came in here before I have some more reps now, but I came in with the same intelligence and integrity and, and desire to do good work. You just assumed the worst and I had to prove otherwise. And I think that's the worst part about being this business for a woman is you do not get the benefit of the doubt. Every single yeah. one of us has to go through that BS before we get to a place where we have some agency and, and get the respect that we're owed. And that just doesn't happen for the guys. There's always, well, he's going to know his stuff and be great because he's a, he's a man. <laughs> well, isn't it just like in, in, um, with teams until women are in hiring positions, will more women be hired to do jobs like that? Um, women reporters come in all shapes and sizes. They don't mm -hmm. all have to be a cookie cutter. What was it? Was it because 
there were women at ESPN that were in the hiring position that you think you really were given the opportunity or were they willing to take a chance that, my God, look at all of the local TV stations that missed you. Right. I, that's tough to say. I mean, like I said, I was a little late to the game, right? So I started working at Fox Sportsnet in LA as a, as a, you know, production intern, a PA, not an intern, but a PA production assistant. Mm -hmm. Then I got to do some AP work, Zala on a nightly highlight show, um, and then started writing for some websites for free just to get some material out there. Start, did a fantasy football show that was like one of those online, you know, pops up in the corner of a blog site kind of thing. And, you know, so I had, I didn't have a ton of experience when I moved back to Chicago. So I don't know that a lot of people missed on me. I did certainly go out on plenty of auditions at the end of my time in LA before I thought, you know, I may need to go back to Chicago where they care a lot more about the content than whether you're wearing, you know, a clubbing dress for your audition. Um, mm -hmm. And to your point, we come in different sizes and shapes. And that was such a difficulty for me when I started in the business, because I want to be funny. I don't really want to try to be sexy, but I was looking around and thinking, all right, well, it looks like all the women getting jobs are super beautiful, tons of makeup, you know, and then it's like, how do you stay respected by dressing in a way that doesn't give the wrong idea? How do you get jobs if the only people getting jobs are dressing a certain way and look a certain way? You don't really know that you're, there's so many mixed messages. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what happened actually was I was, uh, when I got back to Chicago, I started working for ESPN one. I started working for mouthpiece Swartz, that startup website, eventually got a gig at ESPN 1000 as the update anchor while I was also hosting Chicago's best early on in that show's tenure. And mm -hmm. because of my association with WGN for Chicago's best, I started hosting, uh, on Saturday radio, uh, at WGN. And that kind of opened up the door to me doing this blog for the Chicago Tribune. And that's where one of the ESPN higher ups saw me was this, this daily blog. I think it was called no Spain, no gain or something like that. And, uh, I, I was writing for pennies. It was paid by the click kind of vibe there. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was part of the Chicago now where it was people writing about cars or flowers or sports or whatever. And, uh, but because it was good reps for me, I made myself write multiple posts every day, even though it wasn't making me much money and there was no real boss over telling me what to do. And there was a big time person at ESPN following that for a couple months and following my Twitter for a couple months before he reached out and said, you know, ESPNW is about to launch and we'd love to bring you in and see if you'd be interested. So I was doing local radio, but um, just updates before that. So has ESPN ever tried to rein you in? Uh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> give, us, give us a story. Give yeah. us an example. Well, I mean, the, the examples are, are, well, first of all, I've just, <laughs> when I started local radio, I just, I needed to work on that filter from my brain to the mic. <laughs> and it was usually like, just throw away jokes. I won't, I won't elucidate, but one of them was happened to be about a pitcher named Doug Fister. I won't <laughs> oh, <explain> no <laughs> anymore. Oh, why no. I thought I could make jokes about that on the air, but that quickly learned that there's a dump button and it was my friend early on. I also called <laughs> a uh, known quarterback in the NFL a, a D bag, but the full word. And they were like, yeah, you can't do that either. I'm like, okay, good to know. <laughs> um, it was very, very early lessons uh, I got. And then, um, no, you know, at big ESPN, which is what I consider everything outside of like the local ESPN 1000, once I started doing national radio and TV and writing and all that, it's honestly, it's almost always just social issues that I'm super passionate about and finding a way to navigate my 
true and genuine understanding that they cannot alienate a bunch of people, but also that I need to stand up for things that matter to me and how I figure out how to make that balance. Because especially during, you know, the, the, the Trump presidency, it was really difficult for me to not be able to speak freely. But I also was given a bit of a lesson that a lot of people think they're being useful by posting a lot on social media and that energy and that passion would be more useful actually implemented in projects, activism, mm -hmm. time and money, ca calling, writing Congress, all these things that you could do that maybe you don't get the instant satisfaction of, of everybody liking and thinking you did such a great job posting about it, but you'd actually be doing more that way. And so it was a reminder that I could still do the things that and 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 try to have an influence about the things I cared about. Just be more thoughtful about how I did it. But that was usually that's usually where I've gotten myself in trouble. Boy, spoken like a true Cornellian. My son just <laughs> had that conversation with me. He's you know big into activism, and he said, you know, Mom, I just realized last year there was so much about the hashtag and having it underneath your your um, name on social media. And he said, I'm just realizing that you know, it doesn't mean anything unless you're actually doing something about yeah. it. So kudos to you, you for that. You can have a big influence. You can have a big influence and it's useful to use it on social because a lot of people are listening and watching, but you got to go outside of that and, and keep doing the work too. So you made me think about something that I want to ask you about. Um, and you, you said how when you were first starting out and you were in LA and everyone was in their club dresses on their auditions mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, I really struggle with feminism and I would like to know um, how you handle it because um, I am, I have like never really considered myself a feminist and people always yell Peggy, at me. Like, I'm I know. Going to. I'm I going know. to yell at you. Feminism so, is just the idea that we deserve equal opportunity, respect yes. and, and rights. That's what, as simple so as what I realize I am a feminist, but I, I, I'm not a traditional feminist. I don't necessarily go down all the same paths that uh, traditional, um, you know, feminists from the '60s, you know, might go down. Um, but I, I have to ask you about this because the. I had I had a college student ask me recently um, to look at her tape, and I looked at her tape, and then I Googled her. And so I saw her, her pictures that came up, and there were some really racy photos, yeah. and. Now, I truly believe that as women, we should be able to be feminine when we want to be feminine, that we shouldn't have to hold back who we really are, um, and that we just have to answer for who we are and own it, you know, so don't try to be somebody else. At the same time, I told her that she may struggle with those pictures being found online and may not be taken seriously, depending on what role she wants in, in sports totally. broadcasting. So yeah. what do you tell young girls you know about that about you know if it's this is the instagram age everyone has a million totally. photos on instagram yeah. and you can walk a red carpet you can go to a club you can hang out with your friends i mean god knows what they would find of us so so what's the balance well i would start by saying quickly that your idea of like this is the traditional feminist get rid of that because there's so many different ways to em embrace and understand the idea of feminism. And especially a lot of people get caught up in what becomes basically like white feminism, but intersectional feminism is a much better way to try to approach women as a whole in our society and how it applies to a variety of things. But you are absolutely a feminist as long as you believe that women deserve the same rights, opportunities, and respect as men. That's it. After that, you can find different ways to express it or understand it. But um, I have, 
I think we actually at the ESPNW summit here in Chicago a couple of years ago, you were talking about this girl. And I said, I had a meeting with the same girl. I had the same exact response to her Instagram. She's very fond of her own derriere. So almost every picture <laughs> is back to the camera, turning over, look back at it, show up, you know. And I'm torn and I always have been because personally, yes. as somebody who does have big breasts, which are always sexualized that I can't do anything about. I understand that, especially early in my career, if there was a hint of sexiness about it, then no one's listening to what I'm saying. And they presume things about me, which is unfair because I did nothing to get these. I was just born and that's what I look like, right? They don't say anything about me as a person. They don't say anything about my sexuality. They don't say anything about my sex habits. They don't say anything about anything except for my family had genetics that created this, right? And because of the way I've always had to recognize how what I look like affects other people without me doing or any, anything or, or intending anything, it's always been very, it's something I'm very conscious of. And you'll notice when I'm on TV and doing stuff, I don't have cleavage. I don't have, I try to have this balance of like not looking super fat. Cause if everything just flies off the top of them and doesn't land anywhere. You can't tell where my stomach ends. And where, you know what I mean? It's like, how do I make sure I'm flattering myself, but not too tight? It's a real mess, Peggy. It's like so much more work than I would like. I wish I could show up in a muumuu every day and just talk sports. But um, so I try to balance that. But at the same time, I remember coming to Chicago and I got asked to do um, some sort of, I think it was um, WBEZ or some local show. And there was a panel of women sports reporters. And at the time I was very young and new, and there was a, an older woman who'd been in the business forever. And her take was that women should not be allowed to wear what they want, that it was up to you to make sure that you look. And I, I didn't agree with that at all either. I think there is a balance there. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we cannot ignore the constructs that already exist within society. We can't ignore the things that already exist. We can push back on them in the in the way we talk. We can push back on them in our actions, but we still have to acknowledge and understand that not everybody is going to be as evolved as we are. So if we show up in places wearing certain things or if our Instagram is completely covered in that stuff, people are going to get an impression fairly or not. But I think you look at TV, there's a wide range of women. There are women who wear cute dresses on TV and very high heels. And there are women that wear blazers every day and somewhere in the middle. So the more representation there is, the more likely people will not jump to conclusions when they see someone who looks a certain way, because they'll have seen so many different, which is not something that women have had the opportunity to, to show in the past. Meanwhile, men, there's been tall, short, hot, fat, balding, young, old, black, white, whatever. So I, I just think it's time. But I think in the end, really understanding the difference between empowerment and agency versus objectification. And the difference is always who has the power. If I choose that I feel my best and, and I look my best and I'm the most confident in a certain outfit, then I am empowering myself to make that choice and to tell you that I'm, I, I'll show you who I am and let you know who I am. You can't make those decisions based off what I'm wearing. But if it's objectification because the producers or directors or whoever runs a show is saying you have to wear a dress every show and high heels have to be this high and you have to dye your hair blonde, it's a very different thing, right? So right. I do think we have to remember that because a lot of people will look at women who are stepping into their own sexuality and, and accuse them of not being also allowed to talk about harassment and other things. They're very different things. It's about choice and power. 
Well, Sarah, you have, listen, I tell women all the time, we have a big say in what we want people to think of us. And you should be proud of what oh, you, you have done for women in sports because you have done it your way and showed women that it's okay to be you. So thank you so much for so much of your time. You've been incredibly generous with us. And I just want to tell people, please tune in to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. Follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah Spain, sarahspain.com. She's on Instagram. <laughs> She's everywhere. Sarah, uh, thank am. you. Thank you. Thank you, Peggy. And thank you for all you did in the Chicago market before I arrived, because I know a lot of the opportunities for me and other women are entirely due to you. I mean, the name I came in and everyone said, oh, Peggy Kaczynski, she's, she's been here. She's been doing it. So um, you, you really, you had to deal with a lot more than I did. By the time I got here, you'd already opened a lot of doors. Well, let's just hope that those doors remain open and that, you know, we don't have to keep talking about I'll it. I'll take them off the hinges. Yeah. I love that door, idea. Door no longer exists. <laughs> Sarah, be well. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Peggy. All right. And we will be right back to wrap things up here on Pass the Mic. Coming this fall, the Barroom Network presents two fired up Bears fans. They are ready to rumble on the Bear Debate. It's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's Tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get T-shirts. You can get caps. You can get coffee mugs. You can get hoodies. You can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Wow, so you thought you knew Sarah Spain until you knew Sarah Spain. The most unconventional approach and yet an incredibly successful road all the way to ESPN. I mean, you think about it. She came from Illinois, went to LA, was doing the comedy circuit in LA, just happened to take a class in broadcasting at UCLA. And after audition, after audition, after audition with all these actresses, she realized that maybe she should come back to Chicago where really her Midwest roots were going to help her out. And boy, did they ever. She has just taken off. You heard her say ESPN radio for one year before the network gobbled her up. And now, I mean, look what she's doing. And she does it her way. She's not afraid to be a fan. She's not afraid to wear her Cubs t-shirts or her Bears t-shirts or her Bulls t-shirts and hats. And um, you know, she truly is a sports personality. And um, for all of us women, we should take note that there is a way to be yourself and still be successful. I love it. Hey, if you like this episode, please go ahead and show it by 
pressing the heart button, mm-hmm, press the heart icon. Do yourself a favor, listen to all the episodes from last season as well. Well, while you're at it, just subscribe to the Barroom Network so you won't miss any shows in the future. And that includes another podcast that I co-host. It's called The Sportscaster and Her Son. It's also on the Barroom Network, all things sports and entertainment. Well, this is definitely entertainment. It's a show that we like to say bridges the gap between the generations because if you can't tell, I'm a baby boomer and I'm the sportscaster. And I co-host with my teenage son, who has a lot of Generation Z opinions and views on life and sports as a college student. So check us out on the Barroom Network. It's the Sportscaster and Her Son podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Peggy Kaczynski. Check out my YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook. I'm pretty much everywhere as well. Our thank you to Aldo Gandia for running the board and his expertise in slicing and dicing and making us look good. Thank you to Sarah Spain for taking time out of her very busy schedule to chat with us. Don't forget to follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Spain or at Spain and Fitz. Listen to them on ESPN Radio Nightly from 7 until 9 p.m. Eastern time. Check out her website, sarahspain.com. That's all I have for you on this episode of Pass the Mic. I'm taking the mic from John and Alyssa, and we will see you next time. Later. <laughs>